In 2010, West Virginia University shocked the country with a Big East Tournament Championship and a Final Four run. This is the Final Forecast, 10 years later special. A series dedicated to honoring one of the greatest basketball teams in Mountaineer basketball history. Now, over to our host, Jeff Coyle. Welcome back to the Final Forecast 10-Year Special. This is Episode 2. I'm Jeff Coyle, and I was one of the reporters at the time who traveled with the team during the Big East Tournament and the Final Four runs. When we left off in our first episode, WVU was 11-0 and ranked 6th in the country. However, they were hanging on by a thread to that undefeated record, needing an overtime victory at Seton Hall and a last-second jumper from Deshaun Butler against Marquette to keep up their winning ways. Now today, we're going to talk through much of the regular season, including a few crushing losses, all the way up to a season-defining post-game speech from head coach Bob Huggins late in February. Ten Years Later is brought to you exclusively by the Book Exchange, where Mountaineers go since 1934. Choose from the largest selection of Mountaineer gear in the state of West Virginia, with thousands of styles from brand favorites Nike, Champion, Columbia, and more. Shop at either Morgantown location, downtown at 152 Willie Street, or Evansdale at 342 Pattison Drive, or purchase online at bookexchangewv.com. By the end of December, this team was learning to win in ugly ways. Which really, when we look back at this season, the Mountaineers sort of mastered that path to victory. They were built by Bob Huggins, after all, so winning with defense and with grit was a necessity. Through all of the off-season work and the in-season practices that were some of the toughest of any team in the country, these Mountaineers came together. They were truly a team, interconnected by hard work, passion, and heart. West Virginia won games during this season because they were a stronger collective than other teams. Each player had his role, whether that was to drain the final shot, to lock down an opposing star shooter, or to provide energy and effort off of the bench. They always followed the script. Senior forward Wellington Smith. You know what? I think we just, we just got along, right? And we got along and we cared. Um, you know, one of the things I see right now from our team is that, you know, those guys actually care. Um, and it, it makes a difference. It makes a difference when you have, when you can hold uh, your brothers accountable. Um, and when you spend so much time with them, right? It's, it's like, well, you know, how can't you win, right? When you are being demanded to do things you've never done before and to go an extra mile um, than you ever thought you could, um, you're doing it with people that you like. Uh, and that you care about and you want to see succeed, um, you know, those qualities aren't just, uh, aren't just made with it, with, with just, you know, you know, through practice and games, they're, they're made off the court as well. And I think we did a really good job of, of staying in touch with each other and, and doing all these different things in order to, um, in order to be as close as we possibly could when we were playing basketball. Junior forward, John Flowers. Uh, you know, we really got along with each other. We were like brothers, you know what I mean? There were diff definitely different cliques on the team and stuff as far as who hung out with who, but we were all we all had each other's backs. The chemistry was amazing. And, uh, you know, we would fight sometimes, like literally fist fight each other, but <laughs> on, 
on and off the court. But we'll, that's what brothers do sometimes. Senior forward Deshaun Butler. I kind of felt our team was like close in it. Like, you know, you're going to have teams where like two or three guys get along more than the other. And you're going to have two guys hang out with these like each other rather than the big group. But at the same time, I felt like our team did a really good job of, you know, uh, being around each other. Like, that was like my thing during the entire year. Like, I would invite students that I knew didn't play sports over my house and invite my teammates over my house. And it's me. If you can hang out for like 30 minutes or an hour before they go downtown and go crazy or whatever the case would be, you can hang out with, for an hour with somebody you may like agree with, may not agree with, blah, blah, blah. Then you can work together on the court for like a game, like, or in practice or whatever the case may be. So, like, building that chemistry was like an all year thing. And it's for that purpose, like to the end of the year where, you know, we can get guys to like be in the same room and hang out. We can get guys like Chuck Bryant from friggin' Brooklyn, New York to stand and hang out with Cam Thurman from Portsmouth, Ohio. <laughs> it has absolutely nothing in common with each other, but they can also have a good time with each other and, and enjoy each other's company and so on and so forth. Like, it's not like a, a crazy concept. Junior guard Joe Mazzula. I mean, I think there was that brotherhood there. I think we just knew each other so well. We were so comfortable with each other that we were able to say whatever needed to be said. Sometimes it was a fight. Uh, sometimes it was an argument. Sometimes it was an illegal screen. Um, you know, sometimes it was whatever measure we thought was necessary to get our brother to play. Um, I think that's what made our team very good uh, was that. I mean, we would always throw elbows, illegal screens. I mean, me and Deshaun would get into fights constantly. Uh during practice and you know it was nothing more than just us being brothers getting on each other's nerves trying to get the best out of each other freshman forward dennis kalichla and they would tease me in in the same time but it was fun it was never you know it was never to put me down or anything and i know how much they love me and how much i love them so um we had that kind of like a brotherhood especially um with the older guys it was more um towards uh you know practicing how i should go about doing certain things but with uh truck and kevin uh it was more like you know we would go out together and they would teach me things you know you know you should go here you should go there we we do this after we do this and it was it was amazing it was like uh it's a new life i was learning a new life uh at you know age 19 20. And it was, and thank God for those guys too. I mean, they were great guys and, you know, they helped me with everything and it was extremely fun too. Up to that point, that togetherness and hard work was a combination that was paying off. This team was learning how to win with imperfect performances. But some would say that the team was starting to play down to its opponents. Maybe some complacency was building as the wins kept coming. Perhaps the pressures of being one of the few remaining undefeated teams as the calendar turned to 2010 was starting to build. There was no doubt that every team wanted a chance to knock the Mountaineers back down to earth, and that was a fairly new concept for this group. They thrived as the underdogs, and they were inexperienced as hefty favorites. Up next was a sneaky mid-season out-of-conference road trip for Bob Huggins and his squad in West Lafayette, Indiana. Number four, Purdue, was hoping to end the Mountaineers' 11-game winning streak. The Boilermakers were 12-0 and featured a starting lineup with as much, if not more, length and talent than what the Mountaineers had. 
Now, to match that size, Huggins decided to keep a starting lineup full of forwards, something that he had started doing three games earlier. Deshaun Butler would feature as the team's point guard in Mackey Arena. That Purdue game, I think Truck and Mozilla were on Coach's bad side too. That, yeah, I want to say that stretch because we started the game with five. It was me. He had me play point guard. He had John. He had KJ. He had Devin. And he had Wellington. I think we started the game like that. We went there and we played, which, I mean, if you look at it right now, I mean, Etwan Moore is still in the NBA. And like uh, Robbie Hummel was like going to be a great NBA player. And he played in the NBA for a long time too with like two knee surgeries. Uh, Juwan Johnson was amazing. And they had numerous other guys, like guys that are overseas right now playing EuroLeague who are great players. Like, they had a great team. And, and Painter is an amazing coach. <laughs> so, you know, and we're on the road. So it was like a – it was one of those games where, who knows, we won some games. We probably were feeling comfortable and happy and guys got on the coach's bad side. And now we have to change some things up. And we go there and we get our ass kicked and – it made us a better team. This was the fifth game for the Mountaineers in 14 days, and there is no doubt that it was the toughest team in the toughest environment. The crowd of more than 14,000 was just as ready as Matt Painter's team. If you walked in, you couldn't tell that we were like top five in the country the entire year on our way to playing in a national uh, and, and headed to the final four or whatnot. You know what I mean? You couldn't tell. There wasn't that joy. There, it was just that get-to-work mentality, which we all just kind of fell into. And I think there were a few games that year where we carried that, I don't want to say pressure, but we carried that mindset of like, all right, here's another game that we have to win because this is the this is the expectation that's coming for us. And I thought the Purdue game was, was one of those games um, where we didn't bring that joy. We didn't bring that competitive nature. Uh, because we were just wrapped up in the expectation of uh, having to play like a top five team every single night. It just wasn't West Virginia's night. They ended up losing 77 to 62. Purdue out hustled and outworked the Mountaineers, especially during a 20 to five run to start the second half. The Boilermakers did to them what they had done to so many others throughout the first part of the season. Sophomore guard Truck Bryant. All right, Jeff, let me be completely honest. Don't say a losing game. We got smoked. <laughs> they smoked us by 20. It's funny. I will always remember that game because I think we was like number six and they was like, num- I don't know, maybe. It was, I know it was a top 10 matchup. It was a top 10 matchup and that's also the loudest gym I ever played in in my, in my entire career. Both teams ranked in the top six. There's Johnson again. It's just been too easy has been incredibly difficult for West Virginia here in Mackey Arena. Missoula really fighting with Grant there, but Keaton Grant trying to keep it alive. Missoula hits the deck, and he's on the line, and so it'll be Purdue basketball. Smith in the corner. Biggest lead of the ball game for the Boilermakers, 49 to 34. Matt Painter employing his team to pour it on defensively. Purdue has not missed a shot in the second half. They're five for five. Hubble gets himself free. And Hubble high up for the rebound to keep it alive. 
You made the point early in the second half that they're just out hustling West Virginia. Yeah, right now, no blockout responsibilities. So there's the find of Robbie Hummel making him pay for the second opportunity. A 23-7 run for the Boilermakers. Hummel trying to heat up. Now they're putting on a show again. Timeout, West Virginia. Or with a pull up. And swishes it. Boy, it just looks so easy. They're just operating right now with a certainly no game pressure, but not a lot of ball pressure either. Now West Virginia is out of sync in every area of their game. And when you're when you're not scoring the ball, it's really difficult to keep up your defensive intensity. So the waning seconds as an undefeated team here for West Virginia and Bob Huggins as they will taste a loss for the first time and it happens in the new year. They will drop to 11 and 1 and the Boilermakers will improve to 13. Purdue's Jawan Johnson finished with a game high 25 points and 10 rebounds. Robbie Hummel scored 18, and WVU had a season-high 18 turnovers and only kept up with Purdue because of nine three-pointers. Sophomore forward Kevin Jones. Yeah, I mean, that game was kind of a blur for obvious reasons, uh, but I think that we learned how good we, like, how we we stacked up against another top 10 team because I think we both came into that game undefeated if um if I'm correct yep so uh we just kind of learned that we're not as good as we think we are and we have a lot longer to go and it humbled us like a lot of losses can do especially a loss like that but then also we were playing in a I mean they're they were great at home that year and um they had a lot of talent as well so I think it was just kind of like uh it was just like the perfect storm of they they were playing in front of their home crowd and they had a lot of great talent and we were kind of I wouldn't say we were arrogant, but we were a little feeling ourselves because we were undefeated at the time. So I think it was just a perfect storm of everything. And it, and it humbled us. And I think that loss actually helped us in a lot of ways to to get to where we uh, got to for the rest of the season. Assistant coach Billy Hahn. What happens a lot of times is that when you lose a game, losing a game, in my opinion, in the 40 years that I coached, that you learn more you learn more from losing a game than you did from winning 10 games in a row. Uh, a good good butt kicking every now and then was a good recipe to have because it woke you up, made you understand you can't be complacent about certain things, and you got to be ready to play every game. And which that loss gave us an opportunity to regroup, get our act together and not take anything for granted. And that was a big butt whipping that night now. I'll tell you what, Purdue, there was no doubt who the better team was in that night, in that game. Dropped from the ranks of the undefeated, the Mountaineers fell to number eight in the next polls. Back at the Coliseum five days later, WVU took out its frustration on Rutgers in an 86-52 win, its largest margin of victory in a Big East game since all the way back in 2004. It was a short period of relief, though, as West Virginia would lose by two at Notre Dame in the next game. The Mountaineers went into the halftime break down by 20. Yes, 20 points. Despite a valiant effort to claw back in the second half, Butler missed a three at the end of the game, and the Mountaineers dropped their second of the season. The trend of wins and losses continued once more as the Mountaineers defeated South Florida by 19, only to then lose by one to number five Syracuse at the Coliseum. It was WVU's first home loss of the season. 
In that game, the Mountaineers were held to just four buckets during a 12-minute second-half stretch, and despite a few miracle shots toward the end of the game, the Orange came out on top. That made three losses in six games. The Mountaineers would drop out of the top 10 for the first time in the season after those disappointing performances. This was just life in a very up-and-down Big East conference. You know, you could go through your Big East schedule, and believe it or not, and nothing against certain teams, but there was there was three or four bottom bottom league teams that you could go through your schedule and say, you know what, that's sort of a win, that's a win, that's a win, that's a win. Unlike going through the top four teams in the league where you're going, wow, home or away, those were teams that you really had to beat home or at home that you hoped that everything would go okay and you hope you 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 hope you could at least maybe get get one on the road. So it was a, it was a tough tough league schedule on top, but I thought the bottom half of the league was a lot easier than say the Big 12 which we're in that West Virginia's in now. There was a trend starting to pop up with this team though. They loved to play catch up. In fact, in 6 of their first 16 games, the team was tied or trailing at the half because I was never really worried about Joe Mazzula coming in and playing hard. Definitely wasn't worried about Wellington coming in and playing hard. Like those like playing hard and everything is that's what we did. But I also noticed like we would have our issues without scoring like especially after Joe Alexander graduated or excuse me, after he left to the draft. Scoring was kind of like one of our tough things to do because, you know, he did a ton of scoring for us. And the next year, me and Alex did a ton of scoring. And then we were losing another score to when Alex left. So it was just we don't know which one of those sophomores are going to step up. We don't really know. And as far as right now, like, I did a lot of the scoring. And we had a ton of guys that work hard. So, like, I felt like we needed some scoring. While WVU could have considered its slow starts as a weakness, the coaching staff chose to frame it differently. West Virginia didn't start slow. Instead, they finished strong. Assistant coach Larry Harrison. We, we started to develop like a, a, a team personality that, that we would start off slow in the first half and really play well the second half. So our confidence level um, got better and better, as, as stronger and stronger as the season went on because we, when we fell behind, we was okay with that because we knew we was going to come back because that, that, that became the, uh, the, the attitude and, and, and the way the team progressed. Head coach Bob Huggins. Well, then when, when they started chasing us, then, it's, then that's our game. Then we, we're pretty good at being chased. It was an early sign that this team truly had a winner's mentality. Now they just had to regain that on the court. WVU returned to its winning ways in Charleston at the Civic Center with an eight-point victory over Marshall. Back at the Coliseum three days later, the Mountaineers faced their final non-conference team of the regular season, number 21, Ohio State. After the Mountaineers characteristically fell behind by 12 at the half, it was actually a halftime bucket by Hot Rod Hundley that electrified the crowd. Moments after having his number 33 retired, he drained one of his patented hook shots, and somehow the atmosphere inside the Coliseum changed for the rest of the day. Let's go, Mountaineers! In one of the strangest turns of events, West Virginia came back in the second half and outscored Ohio State by 28. 
They scored 12 of the first 14 points of the second half and actually held an eight-point lead with under three minutes to play. That was sort of, I would describe that day and that night as a sort of like the perfect storm type deal. Uh, Everything sort of fell in place to make that thing happen. And I recall, the one thing I recall about that game is at halftime, I thought Coach Huggins did as good a job at halftime as he'd done. Obviously, he's a Hall of Fame coach, and he was a big reason behind the success of this basketball team as well. But he was tremendous at halftime of the Ohio State game. And I think his halftime tactics were very instrumental in the win and how we finished up that game. He pulled no punches. He was right to the point. He was very clear on why they were behind or why they were ahead. He was very clear on why and what we had to do to win a basketball game. And I cannot really describe and use a lot of the words that he used at halftime because it's quite colorful at times. But uh, there was never a doubt when you left that locker what had to be done in the second half, both offensively, defensively, and rebounder-wise. And it was very clear, and Hugs was tremendous at it. And then we go out, and we're sort of surfaces that Hot Rod had made that shot, and you could sort of feel like the buzz in the crowd and you could feel the buzz going through the, through the Coliseum. And it was just good vibes going for that second half. They had made shot after shot after shot. I mean, we're, we're getting crushed here at home by Ohio State. They're playing a 1-3-1. One, one, we can't make a shot. And I told Dave, just stand in the corner, man. We'll get the ball to you. Just stand there as soon as you catch it, shoot it. And, and he did, and we got the whole game turned around because he started making shots. The Mountaineers would win their next four games as well against DePaul, Louisville, number 22 Pitt, and St. John's. That put them at 19-3 and overall and 8-2 and in the Big East Conference. And that Pitt game was particularly memorable, especially for one player. Freshman Dennis Kalichla played in his first game of his career after being forced to sit out the previous 20 games by the NCAA. With Turkish flags flying in the student section, Kalichla checked in and made the most of his seven minutes, scoring nine points. And he became an Before instant legend. Faithful of number 42, Dennis Kalichla, out of Turkey, a 6'9", 265-pound freshman. He was ineligible to play due to NCAA rulings until tonight. But Dennis gave us that the ability to match up with bigger teams. You know, like I said, Wellington pretty much guarded the other team big man. And and when we, we needed a substitution or when we needed to match up against another big, Dennis provided that for us. And then, like you say, he had that uncanny ability to make that hook shot that not only was it good because it went in, but I think as a team, it got everyone else excited and, 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 and our energy level picked up because you just don't see you just don't see someone making that kind of shot all the time. But, um, but, but Dennis gave us that ability to, to match up with the other teams big when we either needed to sub Wellington out or maybe put Wellington at the four 
and that Dennis Guard, a bigger guy. But in, in his own way, like you said, he was a character. He, you know, he 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 bought that he he bought that the energy to us that we wanted him to succeed, you know, because of what he's been through or what he went through. First of all, you know, it, it, it's a pick game, you know, um, it's packed. Everybody's going crazy and we we are having a great season. So here's the thing. I have pressure on me for, you know, it's my first game. I was suspended for 22 games and, you know, there's this big hype behind it and everybody kind of waits for what's going to happen. And there's some expectations from me and from myself, uh, like me putting myself uh, some extra pressure. But on top of that, the season was going so good that I didn't want to let anybody down, you know. I didn't want to mess, um, you know, Deshaun's last year. I mean, Hugs wouldn't let me anyways, but, you know, you lose games with one position. You know, we lo- uh, we won six games with the last position, you know. So I didn't want to do anything wrong, and I was extremely nervous, but I was keeping myself calm and everything. I was like, this is good, this is good, okay, uh, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm watching the game. I'm getting used to it. Well, and then Hugs calls me. I get up, and just the sound, just people going nuts. It was amazing. My ears were like, I was like, I don't know if I can take this, man. My ears were like ringing. Um, it was so loud. And I just had this chill. You know, I was like, it's, you know, I'm doing this finally, and I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna do the best, and if I mess up, I mess up. So, so what, you know? So I go in, and I go in, and Deshaun gives me the ball right away, you know, because they were also living that with me. The whole team was living that with me, you know. Um, they were seeing how I was practicing and everything, and they wanted to, you know, help me out. And like some, I guess it's, I mean, it's chance, it's hard work, it's everything combined. I went four, four for four, and then, you know, had a decent game. And it, I just, in here, like uh, every time I explain this, in this point, I can't, go on anymore because after the game the the feeling was so overwhelming man it was it was amazing it was amazing and that still stays with me and i never had that again i probably never will after that game the mountaineers were back in the top five the remaining big east schedule was daunting though road games at pitt connecticut and villanova all stood in front of them and their fight for the Big East title. Home games against Villanova and Georgetown wouldn't be easy either. If the Mountaineers were going to win their first ever regular season Big East title, they would have to earn it. WVU had already failed to beat a number four team in the country earlier in the year, but they'd get another shot. This time it was at home, with Villanova traveling to the Coliseum for a battle of mismatched squads. WVU only started four forwards now that Truck Bryant was a steady starter. Villanova started four guards. The goal? Get a lead, 
control the glass, and extend the winning streak to seven games. In front of 15,593 fans, the largest crowd of the season and fourth largest crowd of all time at the Coliseum, it didn't work out as the Mountaineers had hoped. They fell behind early and allowed the Wildcats to control the game. West Virginia went into halftime down by 11. Despite outscoring Villanova in the second half, it just wasn't enough. Poor free throw shooting, 56%, and an eight-rebound deficit made this one tough to swallow. A missed opportunity to make a statement in the Big East and in the national one title race. For Villanova. Reynolds exploding to the oh. goal again. Count it. And a chance for three. He and just blew by. Rebound to Redding. Looked like there was some pushing underneath in the rebounding action. That's why the crowd groaned. Reynolds oh. fouled. Count it. What? Is he tough? Reynolds. Jay Wright says every time we've needed a big play this season, Scotty Reynolds has made one. It's the other senior, Redding, on the drive. Villanova, one loss in the Big East. Syracuse, the only other team with one loss, and Reynolds Tough. makes a deep two. Reynolds got two defenders to come out to him, and another dunk for Antonio Pena. It's just been a clinic by Scotty Reynolds. Four days later, the Mountaineers traveled up I-79 to rival Pittsburgh. The Peterson Event Center was ready for revenge after the 19-point defeat handed to the Panthers at the Coliseum just three games earlier. In one of the most back-and-forth contests of the season, the game went to three overtimes before Pitt pulled off a 98-95 win. The Panthers made up a seven-point deficit in the final minute of regulation to send the game to overtime. Truck Bryant nailed a desperation three-pointer as the first overtime ended to extend the game. A pit foul at the end of the second overtime allowed Deshaun Butler to head to the line for three free throws, and he did his clutch Deshaun thing and made all three of them to move the two teams to a third overtime. The Mountaineers used up their luck at that point, though, and Pitt won the game on free throws. Another missed opportunity for West Virginia. The Big East was setting up to be a four-horse race for the title between Syracuse, Villanova, Pittsburgh, and WVU. The Mountaineers just seemed to be faltering at exactly the wrong time. The Big East gave West Virginia a little bit of a reprieve, though, as it matched up against Providence and Seton Hall in back-to-back games, and the Mountaineers won both by double digits. Next up on the schedule was a road trip at the XL Center in Hartford, Connecticut against the Huskies. That year, UConn was not at its best. At the time, it had a losing record in conference, but really was capable of anything. That same month, they'd beaten Villanova on the road by nine points. Huggins knew that Jim Calhoun and his team would be ready. And if the Mountaineers weren't up for it, they were bound to lose again. The guys, we like, uh, we hate playing these guys because, like, you know, every spot, they're way more athletic than us. Chance, they, these are highly, high, like, higher recruited guys, like, nationally recruited guys than we are, like, talented. So it's just like... These are guys you you want you want to win these games you want to play against these guys but at the same time it's just like we're not mentally at that right spot and he kind of like called us on it before the game a couple of days before the game like you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to do you're feeling good about yourselves you need to do this and this and you know we didn't we got our ass kicked and it was like really bad it was embarrassing. Huggins saw this one coming. The Mountaineers lost the rebound, turnover, and free throw battles. They lost the game too, seventy three to sixty two. Huggins got back-to-back technical fouls in the final minute of the game and was ejected from the court. Guarded by Ebanks. Power drive. And Robinson there to flush it. 
stretch, hasn't he? Kimball Walker for the money. And Jim Calhoun's being a different UConn team that he saw earlier in the season. This team competes, plays together, and the unbridled enthusiasm of one Kimball Walker has been a huge difference. In uh, that was kind of an eye-opener for us. It was like, okay, like that was two top five teams, and um, things did not go the way they were supposed to. Um, you know, how can we bounce back from that? And I think that helped helped us win, um, you know, a few games down the line. But you go back to that game where we lose at UConn, and it was the same thing. That the same I do remember we played with the same lack of joy, the same lack of competitive nature in that UConn game as we did at the Purdue game. And I think that's where Hugs had enough. And he did a great job after the game of redirecting our purpose and redirecting of what we're trying to accomplish here and and really painting a picture of here's the opportunity that you have. There's not many teams that get to do what you have the opportunity to do. And if you don't snap out of it, you're going to, you're going to ruin that opportunity. And it's not just about you. It's about the people of West Virginia. It's about the, the fans, the administration, the players that came before you. So once he was able to paint that picture for us, it really opened up our eyes to the opportunity that we have. It's just like, uh, there's no like reality check before it's time to get into real games now, like, cause the games matter now. And I kind of, like, I felt we were getting to a point where we were winning a bunch of games and we looked good. I mean, we lost to, like, teams like Syracuse and we lost to some other teams in conference play that we could have won games, but they were very good teams, you know. But nothing, like, that made us feel a way about ourselves after the game. Like, you need game, you need something to make you feel like, all right, maybe I should play a little bit better or maybe I should, like, you know, check my ego or check myself before we uh, get to these games, because if you feel a certain way about yourself, and like I kind of felt we did, and we go to Connecticut to play at Connecticut, a great coach, Hall of Fame coach, amazing players. <laughs> like What happened after this game has gone down in WVU history. This is what Huggins said on his post-game radio show. I, I just told them in there, I don't know that they have any idea how much they mean to this state and how much this state rallies around them. And I told him this, you have very few times in your life to be special. Very, very few. A lot of people never have a chance to be special. And, you know, this group maybe coulda, shoulda, whatever. We close a couple games out. You know, we're a pretty good team. I mean, we're probably five in the country. Very few people have that opportunity to be special. And and particularly in a place like West Virginia, you know, 
Pitt's had great basketball, but they're not the Steelers. Cincinnati had great basketball when I was there. We're not the Reds. You know what I mean? Mountaineer football and basketball are West Virginia's pride. And we had a chance. And I told them we, and them, we had a chance to be special and represent this state and bring so much pride and joy. Uh, they has said this conceivably could be the best team since the Final Four team. And what that means to this state. And I, and I told them this, Tony, you know, I had the best team in the country. It wasn't even close. I had the best team in the country. I had pros everywhere. And I had the best player in the country. And I told them, he came in my office in the spring, and he said, Hugs, what should I do? I said, I don't know, man. Let me find out, you know. So I found out he was going to go between 18 and 21 in the draft. So I call him back in, and he comes in. And I said, let me ask you before, you know, I get into this deal. What do you want to do? He looked at me. He said, I want to win the national championship. He said, Coach, you know, we talk about being special here. I want to win the national championship. He got a tear running down his cheek. And I said, Kenyon, I think you answered your own question. And I told them when he broke his leg, I'm out on the floor, and he's hugging me, and he's crying on my shoulder. He never said one word about, oh, man, there goes my pro career. Oh, man, look at the money I might have lost. You know what he said? He said, man, I'm not going to be able to win the national championship. Why, Hugs? Why? Why did this happen? I wanted to win the national championship. I wanted, I wanted to win the national championship and be special. Crying on my shoulder. And there's a guy who's number one pick in the draft. And maybe could have been done. Yeah. Single-mindedness of purpose and focus. And that's what he wanted to do. And I told them in there, man, you guys, you guys got no idea. You know, when you get older, you know, you say, man, I wish I, I, wish I would have listened. I wish I would. We all do. I mean, we all do. But this might not happen again. You know, I, I, I'm going to be honest, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be venting vent a little bit maybe here. We have 600 students at the Seton Hall game. They may never have another top 10 team. May not ever happen again. I mean, everybody assumes. You know, at, I, at Cincinnati, I know they assumed that we were just going to be what we were year after year after year after year. It's hard. It's hard. And these guys being part of this. I mean, everybody thinks, man, I want to go to the NBA. That ain't fun. Everybody in the NBA will tell you the greatest experience they had was playing in college. Everybody. It's fun. You know, we just, uh, it's, 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 uh, and I told them, you know, I, I mean, I'm usually, I'm usually pretty irate, uh, when we lose because I, I detest losing. I mean, I detest it. I mean, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm hurt because I know, I know what this means to the people in our state, and and, and being able to to pump their chest out a little bit and say that's my team, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not over with, you know. We we certainly can't let it be over with, um, but I came back here for a reason, you know. I didn't. I didn't come back for anything else other than I love this university and I love this state and I love the people. 
and and if you know if we could do something special for them that's what i want to do and we're going to we're going to the locker room after that game may have changed the trajectory of the entire season that halftime or that end of the game speech when we got beat at at connecticut was very unique that everybody sat in a very tight circle of chairs and hugs was very calm cool and collected hugs did not raise his voice hugs was very matter of fact soft-spoken to the point where you sort of had to really lean forward to listen to what he was saying and when he was talking he was talking about playing for the state of west virginia playing for the the uniform playing for the university playing for all the hard-working people in the state and that we represent those people and that's what we're all about and it was a long storied talk after that game where we were in the we were in the locker room for quite a while in a length at a, at a lengthy time and again it was uh from the heart it was soft-spoken and matter of fact and right hit the guys right between the eyes and obviously that went a long ways for the rest of our success of the season i'm not i'm not smart enough to have anything in my pocket um you know that was that was just uh something that i i felt very strongly about at the time and and knowing uh knowing those guys and knowing uh how much they loved this university and 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 the people in this state that uh they would understand you know you could say that to a lot of people and they wouldn't have a clue and and what what I basically said was, you know, we are playing for a state, and and I, I'm not sure that people over the years have recognized that. You know, I, I know I heard I heard Jerry say, um, you know, I, I wasn't just playing for the university; I was playing for an entire state. Now that was, you know, that was that was after what we're talking about here, but as I saw it on a, on a, on a, uh, well, when he, when they retired his number, but you know, I, I, I just coming from, coming from Cincinnati and basically where you're in, uh, I don't know if competition is the right word, but you kind of are with the Reds, with the Bengals, with Xavier, you know, with, so many different entities. Miami of Ohio is right up the road. You know, you still have some Ohio State influence, and really bigger than that, you have the Kentucky influence because it's it's right there on the border. And you know, and the Kentucky people are are uh, they're crazy. They they actually thought. And Travis Ford, I I love Travis to death. I had Travis in a World University Games. I coached him in a World University Games, and I followed his career. And he's he's done a great job coaching and all that. He wasn't Nick Van Exel. I mean, and they thought he was. They thought he was. They thought he was a better player than Nick Van Exel. And I'm like, these people have lost their minds. I mean, Nick was the deal. But you know, we don't have the competition here that you have there, and and we don't have the competition for uh, for the fan base. I mean, the fan base is here. The fan base isn't going to change. And and you know, and the thing that I think that that what I tried to 
make sure our guys understood. It's just not the people in the stands. It's the people watching you on television. It's the people listening to you on the radio. It's the people in California who have deep, deep West Virginia roots who needed to go there for job opportunities. But the state never left them. And, and that's that's what I tried to impress upon them. And, you know, I, I said that to Nike when I came here. They're like, yeah, but, you know, you only have, you know, whatever, 1.6 million people in the state. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. We have people everywhere, everywhere. And West Virginia doesn't leave you. It just doesn't leave you. I mean, we go wherever we go play. We, we, we've played in California where we had bigger crowd than UCLA had. Uh, we, you know, we've, we've, we've played all over the place and, and West Virginia people show up and they're very proud to be from West Virginia and they wear the, they wear the, 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 uh, WV emblem and the colors, uh, well. So that's, that's what I really was trying to, to make sure that, that everybody understood because, you know, you, you look, we've got a couple guys from Jersey. We got a guy from Rhode Island. We got a couple guys from New York, three guys from New York, actually that really weren't native West Virginians. But pretty much all of them live here now. And and I don't think we'll ever leave. So that's that's what that was about. You know what? You know, I've been in the I've been at the tail end of of a of a you know tirade of uh of Coach Huggins and you know it it wasn't it wasn't great. Uh I would say that feeling wasn't it, it wasn't it wasn't a great feeling right? knowing that we we just let the state of West Virginia down. But you know, with that being said, having some light in the tunnel, knowing that you know we have a way to turn this thing around, um, and we could turn it around for for the people that have come out to every single game that met us uh, that met us at the uh, at the gate before we left uh, to go to the to go to the tournament. Um, you know, the people that have, have you know, stayed outside before our games just so they can get a seat. Um, the people that watch our games in, you know, backwoods in West Virginia that I have no clue where they might be, but you know, those types of people, uh, those type of fans of the school um, and the program, you know, we wanted to do those things for, you know, wanted, wanted to do great things for those people. You know, so I was, I, I felt, you know, I, I felt like it was, uh, I felt enlightened that there was an opportunity to um to do something that there was never that you know we would have never thought we could do you know it wasn't a, a screaming and yelling and, and that that type of talk it was kind of like a talk from the heart and and it made you know i think guys walked out of that locker room that night shaking their heads you know and i know the coaches we did shaking our heads saying you know okay we're gonna be okay we, we're gonna be okay and I think when we came back and preparing for the Big East tournament, uh, I think our, our our focus, our focus was a lot was a lot better. That speech, for me, gave me that mentality. When we were down twenty, we were, I was like, no way we're losing. You know, there is no way. If you came up to me, a Duke game, you know, they're making all these shots and everything. Come up to me and be like, Dennis, what do you think this game? how this game's going to end, I'll tell you that. We'll be win by like 12 points. That's what I would say. So that speech kind of gave me that confidence and 
you know, a fighting spirit for all of us. After that game, West Virginia acted like a different team. They were on a mission and they would not fail. In fact, they didn't lose again until the final four. That UConn game, it may look like a blip in time when you review the regular season on paper. It wasn't even the team's worst loss. But it was a moment defined by one of history's best college basketball coaches taking the opportunity to expect more from his team and rally them to do better. When we return for episode three, we'll continue our journey through the end of the regular season and into the Big East Conference Tournament in Madison Square Garden. Stay tuned. You might even hear a little bit of country roads from New York City in our next episode. Thanks for listening to the show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Final Forecast or call us at 304-807-9098.